Gishmaka ground. Okay. So today's daf is daf nun vav. Page 56 in the Heilige Meseches Ksubis. And we got up to daf nun vav. We're about 15 lines from the top of the Amud. We're at the two dots. We're ultimately, we're walking away from the Gemara. Saying that, learning that we paskin ultimately like Rab Elazar ben Azariah, who says that if you have a person who writes extras into the ksuba and he dies before the uh, he dies before the nisuin before their ability to move in together, so she can only take the basic amount. She's not allowed to collect the extras. We assume the extras were based upon. Uh, the Nesuin. And if the Nesuin ever happened, the extras aren't there. That was Rabbi Loza ben opinion. We're walking away from the Gemara saying that is the Psak. We're now up to the two dots. Hopefully we all have the place. Approximately 15, 16 lines from the top of today's daf. Nun Vav Amar Aleph. Here we go. Yeah, we all have the place. Get All right. Boy, Ravin, Ravin asked the Shaila, searching for information. You see, until now, we were just dealing with a regular case where, I mean, not a regular case, but a case where there was Arison and then death before Nisun. What about the following case, asks Ravin? Nichnis of the Chuppah. What if they ultimately did enter Chuppah, Velay Nivala, but they didn't have intercourse yet? They didn't have relations yet. And then all of a sudden, the husband kicks the bucket. Alright? So now, the previous one is they didn't have any element of Nesuin at all. Robin's asking, what happens if they have a chuppah, but they don't have a bia? Mahu, what is the halacha in such a circumstance? Would the machlokas and the mishnah continue into this circumstance? Alright? The machokas that we had in the Mishnah about whether the extras get paid if they never enter Nesuin, would those opinions continue to be uh, uh, continue to be the same if they had a chuppah but no bia? All right, what's the question? Why would things change? Says the Gemara to explain chibas chuppah kaina. Do we say that the love, the chibah that they have by standing under the chuppah, that itself is enough? For us to say that he's willing to give her the extra amount. Or is it not the standing under the chuppah together that acquires it. But it's the bia, it's the actual ability to live together that acquires it. Alright, that's the shaila over here. So here we go. Says the Gemara to attempt an answer. Tashma, come and listen. The Tanya Rebbe Yisif taught us in a brisa. We assume the reason why he writes the extras into the ksuba is because of the love that exists of Laila Rishayna, the first night. All right, which is an interesting expression. I'll tell you why. And well, this is what the Gemara is going to get into this, but let's understand something. The love of the first night. Now, in our mind, we're going to say, I mean, the first night they're together with marital intimacy as husband and wife. But it doesn't say that. It just says the first night. What if the first night they didn't have intercourse? What if they had a chuppah, in which is very common in some communities, during the daytime? What if they had intercourse during the daytime? It's a very cryptic expression to say, you know, he only wrote the extra part of the ksuba because of the love that's going to be there the first night. 
interesting way to write this. So here we go. If you're going to say that is the love of the chuppah itself that acquires the extra amount of the ksuba, and if he dies afterwards, she should still get it. Okay, so we get why it says the first night. All right, first night means right after chuppah, right as soon as you finish chuppah. See, every day ends after 24 hours, right? So you're going to have a night. Fine. Again, nothing to do with intercourse. It means the first time you're together as husband and wife, the first evening, you go on a date, whatever it is. Aliyam rechibas biyokai. Never going to tell me that. No. It's only once that they consummate the marriage. They actually have intercourse together that she acquires the extra part of the ksuba. Biyabalayla harisha and isa mikan ve'elach lasa. I don't know what that is. The love of the first night is what's going to create the ultimate, call this the love, the connection, the relationship, and not afterwards, meaning not everybody ultimately has their Biyari Shaina on the first night. You can have a chuppah on a Sunday, and maybe they, they for whatever reason, they're not successful in their Biyah, it, it could take a couple nights. So why are you calling it Lailari Shaina? Why are you calling it the first night? See like this, if it's dependent on chuppah, okay, so the first night's the first night. Right again. Every day has an evening, but if you're going to say it depends on the bia, why would you write the first night? You should write the first act of intercourse. So the Gemara here is trying to bring a proof to say that it's the uh, uh, we see here from the Brisa that since Rabbi Yisuf says chiba laila harishon, it's referring to chupa. Hence, if they have chupa and then he dies. She gets the extra amount of the ksuba. Says the Gemara, one second. The Elamai. So what are you going to tell me? Rabbi Yosef means when he says, Laila Rishon. Chupa. You're going to say it's the chupa that as soon as they, they stand under a chupa together, and now she gets, the extras, she gets the extra Lamborghini, right? Is that true? One second. Chupa balayla isa biyabama lasa. You ever went to a wedding that was, a, 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 you know, 11 a.m., 12 p.m.? Why are you writing Laila Rishayna? Even if you're going to say, okay, there's always a night after a chuppah. Why don't you just say the first hours that you're together after a chuppah, whatever. <laughs> or just write, stand under a chuppah. You stood under a chuppah, you get the extra amounts. Why are you writing Laila Rishayna? Some people have chuppah in the morning. So says the Gemara, we actually just had that. The other week, we had a, a, um, a woman who was Megayer, a woman uh, who uh, converted, so we had a morning, uh, right after the conversion, we had a morning chuppah. That's it. Yeah, right outside the mikveh, there's a morning chuppah. Yeah, you chuppah anytime you want. Fine. Says the Gemara, one second. So we're challenging, yeah? Don't tell me it means the chuppah, maybe it doesn't mean the chuppah, because why, why is Rabbi Yisif saying uh, Laila Rishay? Says the Gemara, one second. According to your reason, that's not necessarily chuppah. Are you going to tell me that when Rabbi Yisif writes the first night, He's referring to intercourse? One second. Intercourse, we know that intercourse is not allowed when there's daylight shining in on the couple. But it's permitted to have relations by day as long as there's no daylight in the room. If you have a couple that's in a darkened house, a darkened room, you can have relations during the day as well. So either way, says the Gemara, what does Rabbi Yisif mean when he says, oh, 
you know, the extra part of the ksuba is because of the chiba of the laila rishayna. That's nothing to do with chuppah, and has nothing to do with bia. Because both of those things can just as much have been done and, and be done during the day. So we don't have a proof. We don't have a proof. So answers the Gemara, oh, maybe we do. You know why? I'll tell you like this. Granted, you're allowed to have relations during the day. But the usual time to have relations, the proper time to have relations, to be a Belayla, it's, it's at night. But according to Chuppah, it, it would be Shver. It's, in other words, it's weak. Why would it say night? In other words, if it's, if Rabbi Yisif, when he says it's referring to the first night, would be referring to Bia, we can handle that. Ah, uh, you can have Bia during the day? I know. Fine. But even if you do it during the day, it's got to be a darkened room as if it's night. So we understand why it's night. But to say Chuppah's at night, show me anywhere in Halacha where we say it's more right to have a chuppah at night as opposed to the day. You're not going to find that. So it makes more sense it's referring to the bia than the chuppah. Says the Gemara, nah, chuppah nami like Asha. You should know. Chuppah also is, uh, there's no question. You know why? I'll tell you why. Kivan destam chuppah labia kaima, arachara kamashmalan dibalayla. Since chuppah ultimately is the first time that the wife is entering the husband's domain to be together as husband and wife. So the chuppah is usually the start of, of a bia that's going to take place that night. So you could say, you know, you picture the weddings we have in America, fine. It'll happen five, six hours later. If you picture a, a wedding that they had in the times of the Gemara, where they, didn't, where, where they had, I would assume, I don't know this for a fact, COVID-style weddings, where you invited 10 people from the shtetl and you had a lechayim and a shtikel herring and shalom al Yisrael, the couple was totally fine and you saved yourself $30,000, right? And outs is git. And their marriages were just as fine as the ones that, they, that, that, uh, that uh, we have nowadays. Okay, so she came into his home and then ultimately that night they lived together as husband and wife. So what the Gemara is walking away with really is... Do we have a proof? Do we not have a proof? We're not so sure. We're not so sure. Again, Ravan had a question. Let's take a step back. How do we start today? Ravan had a question. Ravan said, listen, we have a dispute in the Mishnah. What happens? The husband wrote extra into the Ksuba, and then he dies before Nesuin. Okay, Machlaikas, whether she gets it. Ravan says, would the same thing hold weight? Would the same Machlaikas hold true if they had Chuppah without Bia? We tried proving from Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef says the extras come from Chibas Laila Harishain. And ultimately what we're saying is, it's not, we're not sure what he means by Chibas Laila Harishain. He could either be referring to Chuppah, he could be referring to Bia. The last step ultimately here is saying that it might even be Bia. So according to this last step, I'm not saying we're passing like this, but according to this last step, what it's going to say is if there was Chuppah without Bia, if there's chuppah without bia, she's not necessarily um, going to. Um, I'm sorry, no, no. If she has chuppah without bia, the chuppah itself is could be referring to the bia. That's the usual way to write it, and hence the the ksuba would come about through chuppah. Okay, but Lamaisa, we, we we brought both sides, right? Maybe it's chuppah, maybe it's bia. We brought both sides. Not so clear. Fine. 
By Ravashi, Ravashi asked the question searching for information. What happens if they have chuppah? So they had their erisin, they have their nesuin. And guess what happens? She becomes tame. She has menstrual blood. She becomes a nida. So they're not able to consummate the marriage. Two days later, he dies. They're living to, they have nesuin. Two days later, he dies. Mahu, what's the halacha? If you're going to say that it's the chuppah, the love of, of chuppah that gives her the extra part of the ksuba, chuppah maybe we'll say like this. Listen, there wasn't a chuppah where they was fit for bia. Maybe there's no difference, says Gemara Teku. Unsure. The question stands. Okay, two dots. Here we go. Back to our Mishnah. We learned in the Mishnah the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. We had a conversation which was that if somebody writes to his wife, uh, we know that you have to write a ksuba of 200 to a besula and 100 to a baula, at least. You can add, but you have to write at least that. Okay? So we, the, the Mishnah brought an interesting case. What was the case of the Mishnah? The Mishnah wanted to know what happens if somebody wants to call it, pull a little bit of a shtick. He wants to pull shtick. And he says, you know, I'm going to write 200 zuz to my wife who's a besula. I'm willing to write, you know, I'm willing to write the 200 zuz, but I'm going to ask her for a receipt as if I already paid off 100. Right? So can you do that or not? That was the conversation in the Mishnah. So the Mishnah on Nundal, Rabbi Blaze, you just take a quick look back there. The Mishnah says that Rabbi Yehuda holds that if a husband wants to write 200 and then she responds as if she's, she already received 100, she didn't really receive 100, right? But like that's their, that's their upmach. Um, Rebuta says that's allowed. And Remeir says, no, not allowed. You can't do that. You gotta owe her at least 200. You can't mach shtick. You can't pull shtick. All right, that's it. And if you pull shtick, and you don't give a basula the two hundred that every husband is obligated to give the the, the wife, it's like a, it's like znus. Anytime you have relations with her, it's forbidden relations. You got when for a husband and wife to be together, she's got to be in a situation where she's protected, and you can't have that. Rabbi Huda says you could have that receipt. Rabbi Meir says you can't. All right, let's get into this. Says the Gemara. Let's understand Rabbi Yehuda. The Savar Rabbi Yehuda the Kaisvin Shaiver. Rabbi Yehuda writes. That we just uh, write a receipt. But tonight we learned in the Mishnah, If a guy borrows $1,000 and he pays off 500 so what does he do? What does he do? There's still a, a star, there's still a document saying he owes 1000 You know you paid off 500 What are you going to do to make sure that the lender doesn't collect the full 1000 again and that everybody knows you only owe half? So Rabbi Yehuda says, Rabbi Yehuda says, Yachlif, I'll tell you what to do. Let the borrower take the document saying he owns a thousand. And then, at the same time that he takes the document, he should write an IOU of 500 to the lender. So now he has the original document of a thousand. He writes an IOU to the lender. And the lender has a new document stating 500. All right, he's giving him a receipt. Rabbi Yehuda says, I'm sorry. Not a receipt. Yachlef means change. Rabbi Yudah says, Yichtaif lai shayver. Okay. 
Rabbi Yossi says the opposite. Rabbi Yossi says the lender holds on to the original document. I, how, do, how are we going to make sure the borrower doesn't need to pay back the full thousand? How are we going to know he already paid off 500? He says, have the lender now write a new document saying, giving him a receipt saying, I received 500. So if he wants to collect the thousand again, the borrower could come with a receipt for 500 and pay off the other 500 in Shalom al Yisrael. Now, Rabbi Yehuda does not say to write a receipt. Rabbi Yehuda says, switch the documents. So why in our Mishnah does he say, let the woman give a receipt for part of her ksuba? He should say, let the woman take her ksuba and so on and so forth. Okay? And, and, and give a new document. Okay, what does that mean? We're dealing with a ksuba, sheshibarta b'seicha, means written into the ksuba is stating that she already received 100. Okay, it's fascinating. You ready? Says the Gemara like this. You know what you're going to do? The husband's going to write a ksuba to his wife. My dear, beautiful wife, I behold, owe you 200 zuz because you are a besula and you are agreeing that as a receipt, um, I have prepaid 100 of it, so there's a remaining balance of 100. So built into the ksuba, it says there's a receipt. You write the rece- whatever that receipt would have said, you write it into the ksuba. All right? So in other words, the Gemara is answering that Rabbi Yehuda really does not like receipts. Unless you write it into the original document. Fine. That's one, that's one option. Rabbi says, You can even say Rabbi Yehuda allows receipts. By the case where you have a guy who borrows a thousand and he paid off five hundred, Rabbi Huda says, "Do not do you know? Do not do receipt because bottom line is money was transferred over. Money was transferred over, and therefore take the document and give a new IOU. Why? Dilma merchas tivarta. I'll tell you what might happen," says Rabbi Huda. The borrower who paid off five hundred, if the lender gives him a receipt, you know what's going to happen. He could lose the receipt. You ever lose a bill? You ever lose a receipt from a store when you're trying to return something? So what's going to happen is, if the, if the borrower loses the receipt, that he paid off 500, so now it's going to come time for the whole thing to be paid off. The lender's going to come with a document stating the borrower owes him 1000 and the borrower's going to say, I lost my receipt, it fell out of my purse. So the lender is going to collect another 1000 and... Hacha vaday, and therefore, you you have um, a, a potential for dishonesty. However, hacha in our Mishnah by the Ksuva vaday yahivla. When he writes, "I'm giving you two hundred, and she is writing a receipt for a hundred. Did he actually give her money? No. Really, what's happening is she's just being Michaelit. She's being Michael. She's not, it's not going to cost her money that she actually gave over to him. So therefore, she said, it's okay. <clears throat> it's okay. Eh, fine. I, I got part of it. I don't need the full, uh, you know, I don't need the full amount. So therefore, like this. If he has an actual receipt that she wrote, fine. So when it comes time for the ksuba, you know what's going to happen? She's going to come with the ksuba that says 200. And he 
has to produce a receipt that a hundred was already paid off. If he has the receipt, good, he has the receipt. Eli Natrate, let's say he lost the receipt. Guess what? Ehuhu, the opposite on opposite, that's his own problem. <laughs> right? She comes with the Ksuba. The Ksuba says, You owe me 200. It's now time they get divorced. He dies. She wants to collect from the estate. Comes time for the Ksuba to be collected. So, what's going to happen is like this they're getting divorced. He says, uh, Excuse me, uh, you said that I only need to give you 100 out of the 200. So she says, okay, very nice. So, so show me where I wrote that. So if he protected that receipt and he could, he could produce the receipt, because hey, produce it. If he didn't, doesn't produce the receipt. So let it be the original 200. Who cares? Who cares? We understand why Abayi wants to come up with this new approach that the receipt's not written into the Ksuba. He says, because the Mishnah doesn't say that. Who says that Rabbi Huda allows a receipt when it's written into the Ksuba? Why doesn't he come up with this logic? He says, no, maybe he sold all situations of receipt are the same. All right? All, it's, it's all the same. And the same way we're concerned that by a regular loan, if somebody might lose the receipt, then it might be an improper type of collecting. So Rabbi Yehuda is concerned over here as well. In general, he doesn't like the concept of receipts. Even though he understands the discrepancy here, where there's no real uh, money that was transferred, still, Rabbi Yehuda completely stays away from receipts. Okay, fine. So that's clarification. Okay, so let's take a step back. The Gemara said, Rabbi Yehuda holds, you got to write 200, and she, re- she can write a receipt. The question is, why the Gemara asked, why does Rabbi Yehuda hold of receipts? It seems he holds of receipts. Elsewhere, by a partial payment, he says that you have to mamish do a whole switcheroo. You got to switch the documents. We don't like receipts. We came up with a couple answers. One answer is that in the case of our Mishnah, it's not a new receipt. It's a receipt in the Ksuba. And the other way to say it is, in the case of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda doesn't mind receipts. Because even if the receipt is lost, whoop de doo it's not gonna. It's not gonna cause anybody uh, a loss of money that they actually paid off. Okay, says the Gemara Vaiter. Here we go. Let's keep going. Time of the Ksivale. The reason why ultimately a two hundred ksuba for a besula could get lowered is because she wrote a receipt. Avol alpe. Let's say it was all talk. It was all talk. She verbally said, you know what, I know 200 zuz is a, is a lot of money for you to commit to me. Eh, on my own end, I want to have a goodwill gesture, and I'm going to be Michael half of it. The halacha is light. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Okay? Now, Rashi says something amazing here. Rashi says the reason why it doesn't matter is because of this. When something is coming about through speech. And the Gemara is going to, we're now going to enter a fascinating concept over here. When the Gemara, when something is brought out through speech, that is considered a tenai. It's called a condition. All right? Now here's the deal. This is a very, very important foundational thing that we need to know in Yiddishkeit. Ready for this? This is site. this foundation. And that's like this. Words matter. Big time in Yiddishkeit. We know that. But there's times where your words, you could say something, and we're going to say to you, too bad. 
And that is when a person, the expression is in Hebrew is like this. When a person is masna, makes a condition, al-masha kosov batayra, on something that it says in the Torah. If I make a condition to transgress, you know what we say? Tough luck. So I say it like this. I say to a woman, I'll marry you on condition that you stop keeping Shabbos. That condition doesn't matter. Because something that exists in the Torah, something that exists in Halacha, you cannot stipulate anything about that. You're, you, it doesn't matter what you want to do here. Alright? Now, the assumption here is like this, Rashi explains. If he says, he writes in Exuba 200, and she verbally says, you're, you're not going to owe me 100, 200 zuz is something that the Chachamim say, you must pay a woman who's a besula. You want to write a, to speak about that and to say, no, no, you don't. That's considered a condition against halacha and it's not going to hold weight. All right? That's what we're saying right now. Again, time out the kosovle. The reason why she can lower the ksuba is because she wrote a receipt. So you did this, I'm writing that I received it. That's fine. Because ultimately what you're saying is, yes, it's 200. I already received 100. But if she says it's okay verbally, orally, and there's no receipt, so you're basically, she's basically just saying, no, you don't need to give the amount the sages say need to be given. And she has no right to do that. Let's keep going. Says the Gemara of Amai, but why? This is a financial situation. According to when it comes to a financial situation, even if it's Masna Masha Kosabatari, it is. Financial situation against the Torah, as Rabbi Yehuda holds, it can work. How is that possible? Listen to this. The Tanya. We learned through the Haimar Leisha, guy says to a woman, Behold, Harriet, you are married to me. You're married to me on condition, you ready for this? You will never claim from me my biblical obligations of the Torah says a husband is obligated to give his wife food, give his wife clothing, give his wife aina, which means attention and focus and physical intimacy. That's aina. Guy says, I'm marrying you on condition. You ain't getting these things that the Torah demands of me. Ready for this? Harezu mikudeshas. You're married. You know why? Utnoi bottle. Because it doesn't matter what you're saying. I don't owe you she'er ksusva'ina. You know why it doesn't matter? Because the Torah says you do. So as soon as you say this is a marriage, you're married. I, I made a condition. I don't owe you anything that the, the Bible says I got to give you. Tough luck. <laughs> you can't do that. A marriage is a marriage. Shkayach. See you later. David Rabbi Meir. Zepin of Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yehuda says, Bidovar shebemomen. Anything that's financial, meaning... Meaning, not aina, not the attention and affection and appreciation, the triple A of marriage, right? Attention, affection, appreciation that we need to show for each other. But Rebuta says, if I say to my wife, you know what, we're married, I, I'm, I just, I can't pay for your lunch. I can't give you meals. Says Rebuta, tenai kayam. That is a valid tenai. Okay. What you see from here is 
you have a ksuba, seems to be a monetary obligation, let the wife just say, it's okay. I don't need the full 200. It says, um, let's consider this as if you already paid me off 100. Okay? So, so Gemara answers, no. Fascinating. Even though, we find this at times, even though Rabbi Yehuda says when it comes to something that's against the Torah, if it's a financial matter, somebody could be Michael. When it's Rabbanon, when the rabbis say you owe something financially, you cannot. We consider a rabbinic financial obligation stronger than a biblical one. Now why? So we find this at times. The example that I explain it with is kind of like a substitute teacher. You have a regular teacher. The teacher goes out of the classroom. A sub walks in. You got to be careful how you walk into that classroom. Got to be careful. There's a couple of smart ways, depending on your personality, your style, and the, and the students you're teaching. One way that either you got to do it is you need to come in with a strong presence and then back off. Come with a strong presence, stronger than you'd like, but then back off to make sure you got the crowd behind you. Yeah, dial them in. And sometimes you come in without a strong presence. Sometimes you come in like, hey guys, you know, let's teach the cats away, the mice play. Let's, uh, let's have some fun and learn a little bit too, depending on what works for your style. What's happening here is, says Rabbi Yehuda, when the Chachamim say something, what, people, you oftentimes will not take it as serious as a biblical obligation. And because of that, the Chachamim need to come in with a stronger presence than a regular Torah Dika obligation would need to have. Nobody, Tyra says it, Tyra says it. Sometimes the Chum need to make a chizuk with the Ram. They have to make their words even stronger than Tyra so people will take it seriously. You got you, you to come in with a strong presence over here. So says, so says the Gemara, Rabbi Yehuda will say, by Iksuba, which is a rabbinic financial matter, there's no messing with that. We're not allowing anybody to waive conditions. It's going to turn into a game. You're going to have husbands, since it's a rabbinic matter, you might have husbands, they start dating women, they, they propose to them, and then it becomes the, the hot thing to play this shtick. Oh, if you really love me, I know I owe you 200, but if you really love me, write that you already received 199. Come on. Oh, it's rabbinic anyway. We're not, we're not messing with this. Yudah says, 200 is 200. Nothing verbal. You want to write a receipt, you got to hit the Seder. Then it's, everything's written, this is a real financial, this is a business deal, any person can, but when it comes to an oral agreement, no, no, no. We're going to be stronger with the rabbinic than the biblical. Says the Gemara, one secondary pair is the Rabbanon. When you have a wife who comes into a marriage with land, we know the produce, the fruits of those fields, go to the, go to the husband, Right? He's anything that's produced during the marriage, he financially gains something. And the Rabbanon didn't need to add any strengthening to this halacha of the husband receiving the peres. Now, the Tanam, we learned in the Mishnah. A husband is allowed to eat the produce and the produce of the produce. Until he writes that, you know, your land and the produce have nothing to do with me. 
ad oilam forever. Okay, meaning if somebody says, you know, I am, a husband says to his wife, I am removing my rights completely from enjoying the produce of your land. Okay? So he waves his rights to the produce, but he doesn't waive the, the rights to the produce of the produce. All right? So if let's say you have like this. A wife comes into a marriage with a hundred acre orchard. So it's growing fruit, uh, you know, oranges. Yeah, it's growing oranges. So the husband's allowed to gain from those oranges. He takes those oranges and he plants an additional 20 acres with those oranges. So he extended the field. And that field grows oranges. So that field is produce of the produce. So if a husband says that I'm foregoing all my rights to your field, it doesn't mean that he's including in that the produce of the produce. Okay? It's only the original thing that she, that she uh, really brought into the marriage. We now turn to the top of Nunvav Omud Beis, the Kaimalon, and, we, uh, and we've established the Halacha, my Kaisiv. What does it mean that he writes this to her? It means Aymer, that even if it's a verbal understanding, a verbal agreement, so you see that the Rabbanon say in general, he gets the Peros. Over here we see that they can have a verbal agreement to override the din de Rabbanon of the husband getting the peros. So, right? He's losing the peros. He's not going to lose the produce. Excuse me. The produce of the produce. He'll get that additional, the, the additional 20 acres, right? But the original amount, he could give in on even verbally, even though the Chum say he has rights to it. So make up your mind. Do we allow verbal agreements when the Chacham give us financial rights or not? Answer the Gemara, Amar Abayabai says, he says there's a difference, I'll tell you why. Every marriage has a ksuva financial obligation there. A husband and wife are not together without a ksuva. Let me ask you a question. Does every woman come into a marriage owning an orange orchard? Owning land that the husband's allowed to receive produce from? No. That's not a cross the line type of thing. That's not something that's automatic, that exists, right? So therefore, most of the shaykh of the Rabbanachizik, most of the shaykh of the Rabbanachizik, a beautiful answer. Just like this. In Ksuba, every husband has a financial responsibility. You know what we say? You ain't messing with that. A verbal agreement does not change your responsibility of a Ksuba. Every marriage across the board. Now, you might have a situation where a woman comes in, she owns a field, there's extra produce, what happened? What's the percentage? 10%, 20%, even if it's 70%, it doesn't matter. It doesn't happen in every marriage. And therefore, when the Chacham say that a husband gets produce, they're not concerned by it. It, it needs to happen. It must happen. Every husband gets produce. No. <laughs> as many husbands don't receive any produce. How many of our wives came into a marriage owning, uh, owning uh, wheat fields? None. Maybe. I don't know. Unless somebody else here is different. Eh? You, could, you could share me. Right? I don't know. People think I live in St. Louis now. We, we all own farms. Yeah? <laughs> no, Robert, in San Diego. You got some farms out there? No? <laughs> all right. But that's so, so, <laughs> you, uh, Rabaran does. Rabaran's got the chickens over there uh, by, by the neighbor up the block. All right, be it as it may, that's the bottom line, right? When it comes to every marriage, the hum strengthening that that exists every. When it comes to the payros, then we allow uh, we allow a verbal agreement to override the chacham. Fine. Says the Gemara. There's a fascinating halacha. Ready for this? 
donkey drivers. Donkey drivers. So donkey drivers would bring grain and all sorts of produce to the market and sell it. Now, generally speaking, donkey drivers were not the most learned people. And the halacha is, if you have an Amha Aretz, a regular person of the land, regular person, ignorant, not, doesn't know halacha so well, the assumption is that we don't, uh, not, not, we, I shouldn't say the assumption is, we don't know if they, if they are experts in the laws of Trumas and Maisris. So if you were to purchase grain from them, it's considered demai. Demai means we have a suffix. We're in doubt whether it must be taken, and therefore you've got to take your own Trumas and Maisris. So if you have the, the case of Hamarim, which is common, they're the ones, they're the truck drivers, right? They're the ones who bring it. The Rabbana didn't strengthen their decree. What, what do you mean? What's their decree? The Tanan, we learned in the Mishnah. You have a group of donkey drivers, they come into the city, and they're selling produce. Ready for this? One of them says, My grain is chadash. It's not allowed to be eaten yet. Until the second day of Pesach, when we bring the carbon aimer. But my friends got the kosher grain. Shali my stuff is not yet taken off Trumas and Maisris. Ain We don't trust them. Now why 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 don't we trust them? Because you know what you know how we view this? You know the famous joke, the two Jews outside uh, two Jews, two chavra outside of a church, one wearing a mug and David, one wearing a cross. And everybody comes out of the church, gives money to the guy wearing the cross. So finally, one Christian walks out of the church. He feels bad for the guy with the mug and dove. He says, listen, dude, you're outside of a church. Of course, we're not giving you any money. You're collecting in the wrong place. So the guy wearing the mug and dove turns to the guy wearing the cross. And he says, Jaime, look at this guy teaching us how to do business. Yeah? Okay. What's the... What, what's the joke over here? Says the, says the Tanakama like this. Two guys walk into town. One guy says, my friend's stuff. He's Jewish. Yeah, he's Jew, he's, his stuff is all kosher. My stuff. You know what they're going to do? They're going to go to the next town and they're going to switch. They'll switch. Like I say, oh, my stuff. Only buy, only buy from him. We assume they're playing games here. Right? The two Jews figuring out how to, how to you know, uh, convince everybody that their stuff's kosher. Yeah? Jackie Mason, all of Asholem, has a, a shtickle where he's, he says, you know, people say sushi was invented by the Japanese. He says, I'm convinced, I forget how it goes, he says, I'm convinced it was a Jew. Some Jews trying to figure out how to sell food without having to pay for a kitchen. He says, I'll sell you my raw fish. And he's, he's got his, uh, he's got a whole, uh, he's got a whole uh, uh, shtickle on that. All right? it, it, we're concerned that some sort of shtick. That they're trying to pull off of here. Reb Yehuda, Reb Yehuda says, no. Nemanim. You have two donkey drivers. They come to town. One guy says, my stuff's not kosher. And the other guy says, kosher. We do trust them. And, and it would not be considered demai. So you see, the Chachamim make an enactment of demai. You got to separate. But now because of somebody's words, Reb Yehuda says, all of a sudden you're believed. Am Rabbi Abai says, Vadai did the Reim of the Rabbana Chizuk. So fake the Reim of the Rabbana Says Abai like this. Abai says, listen, you know why you need to separate Trumas and Maiseris from donkey drivers? Because it's demai. Now listen, this is, this is beautiful. 
Does Demai mean it wasn't taken? No. Maybe they very well took Truma Samaisers. In other words, two guys walk into town, donkey drivers. When one tells me that the other guy's stuff is fine, says Rebhuda, you could trust him. You know why? First of all, a lot of people know how to take Truma Samaisers. You don't know that it didn't happen. So now somebody, somebody else is telling me it did happen. Nehmanim, believe him. In a case where there's no suffix, there's no doubt, the Rabbanon strengthens. So by a ksuba, where there's a certain obligation, the Rabbanon say, we're not playing games here. By demai, where there's not even a certain obligation to separate, we don't know for sure. Could be separated. The Rabbanon didn't, didn't strengthen this decree. Rav Amar kilu. By demai, they were uh, lenient. Rav is saying it's even less knowledge of, uh, of uh, a responsibility to separate Trumas and Meisters. Okay, very nice, beautiful. Bottom line is Gishmak. What we've just clarified is, what we've just clarified is the opinion of Rabbi Huda and our Mishnah who says that, um, that, uh, that a receipt needs to be uh, written in the Ksuba. We made a diok, we said it has to be written it can't be spoken about, and we explained the reason why it can't be spoken about is because that's going to be a verbal agreement overriding something that the Chachamim says must be there, and we don't allow it. I. what about other cases? We do allow verbal uh, arrangements. We gave the reasons why it works over there, but Ksuba is different. Ksuba, we do not allow a verbal arrangement according to Rabbi Yehuda. Okay, beautiful, period. Now, next opinion in the Mishnah. Rav Meir argued Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda, again, Rabbi Yehuda says, if you don't want to pay the 200, have her write a receipt. Rav Meir says, absolutely not. Rav Meir says, kol v'chulu. If anybody is offering less than 200 to his wife who's a besula, or less than 100 to a wife who's a baula, your acts of intercourse is znus. It's forbidden znus. We don't go for this, says Rav Meir. You cannot make this arrangement, that Rabbi, this written arrangement that Rabbi Yehuda goes for. Let's get into Rabbi Meir's opinion. Says the Gemara. According to Rabbi Meir, it seems, anybody who's going to pay less than 200, even if there's a condition over here. Okay? It's a condition. Fine. Now, what's the condition over here? So the Gemara here is assuming that Rav Meir has an issue where if a guy puts in less than 200, what he means to say is he wants to make a, con- he, he wants to make a condition. Okay? He wants to. So w- does it work? We're assuming right now no. Let's, un- let's explain. According to Rav Meir, because he's so strong about this, let's say I were to write in the ksuva, behold, I owe you 200 and 100 is paid off. How do I view that ksuva? Right now we're understanding it to mean the words of 100 being paid off don't matter. We're ignoring it. You still need to pay your 200. Meaning when Ramea says it's going to be znus, he doesn't mean like, oh, so now you're not married. No, what he means is, listen, sweetie, we don't care what you wrote in the ksuba. 
the sages say she gets 200, you will pay her 200. So you get divorced in a year, 10 years, 20 years, and she shows up with a ksuba, and in the ksuba you, uh, uh, there was an agreement that 100 is paid off, says the mayor, it don't matter, doesn't matter, 200, 200, 200, 200. We consider this to be a condition. Oh, well, you wanted to give less than 200? That's making a condition on what the rabbis say, and that doesn't hold weight. That's how we're understanding Rabbi Meir's opinion over here. So here we go. Alma, you see from here, Kasavar, Rav Meir holds, to no'u bottle, his condition of giving less than 200 is nullified, the isla, and she still gets the 200. Good? The kivan and sins. The Omar La, he said to her, one second, I'm only giving you a hundred. Less lach elamana. I'm only giving you a hundred. Right, that was again. I will give you a hundred. Laisam chadaita. You know what she's thinking to herself? Why'd she take the ksuba? Laisam chadaita. She's not relying on that. She's not relying on that. So now this is the flip side of it. The flip side of it is as follows. You owe her the 200. The issue is the wife doesn't know what's happening here. She's unsure what the, you know, what the husband's going to try to pull off over here. All right? So she feels that she's less in the eyes of her husband. What do you mean less? She can easily be gotten rid of. The purpose of Aksuba is to protect women. You write Aksuba 200, and then you make a condition, oh, but I paid you 150, so in her eyes, she's only worth 50, it's much easier for the husband to get rid of her. Okay? And even though, here's the catch, this is amazing, Trevor, this is mom is a strong lumbus. We're, we're dancing on two sides of the fence here. We're going to say the husband is obligated to pay the full 200. However, the fact that she doesn't, that she knows that he made this condition as illegitimate as it is, is going to make it at the time of their relations, she feels like she's not being taken seriously. And therefore, the act of cohabitation is considered as nus. You hear this? So Ramir says, you do this, you lose out on both sides. You have to pay financially, and be- but because you said that, you just minimize the woman. Says the Gemara, happens to be of the opinion you can make a stipulation on a rabbinic decree. So why is he being so strong about this? And so the Gemara, Meir holds that Aksuba is not viewed as a mere rabbinic responsibility. He holds that Aksuba is learnt out from the Torah, perhaps the exact amount, not necessarily, but he says the source of Aksuba is, uh, is Midairaisa, and hence you make any sort of stipulation, there's going to be severe consequences. You have to pay it, and at the same time, your Bia is going to be considered a Be'ilas Zunus. Okay. Tanya, we learned in the Bryce, Ramir says, Anybody who writes an Aksuba for a Basul less than 200, and Amana less than 100, it's considered Zunus. That seems to be like Rav Meir's expression. Rabbi Yaisi says, Rashai. Rashai means it's allowed. Okay. Now, if you're going to say it's allowed, it's allowed. Not, not saying you should, but allowed means you could. 
The first opinion is you cannot. Okay, the first opinion is no. It's bilazunos. Rebbe says it's allowed. Rebbe Yudaimer, Ratza, if you want, kosev lebesula, you can write to a besula, shtar shomasayim, a document stating I owe you two hundred. Vihikai seveslay, and she can write like our Mishnah said. She can write the receipt. This is Rebbe Yudaimer's opinion. Write a receipt. His kabalti mimchamana. I already received the hundred. Ula mana mana. Okay, so again, three-way dispute. A guy marries a basula. The first opinion is, seems to be like Rav Meir. You lower it, znus. Rabbi Yaisi says, it's allowed. Rabbi Yehuda says, nothing doing, unless you write a receipt. Okay. Does Rabbi Yaisi really hold that it's allowed? You can, if, it's allowed. If you did, it's not recommended, but it's allowed. Less than 200, okay. Is that true? Rabbi Mini, that's a contradiction in Rabbi Yaisi's opinion. To collect the ksuba, we don't pay it off with movable objects. Because of tikkun oilam. Okay. What do you mean because of tikkun oilam? Rashi explains that things that are movable objects only hold their value pertaining to societal standards. They don't have real value. It depends on what societies want to have. So if you would make a ksuva dependent on metaltalin, and you live, you start out being married in a place like, uh, you know, in, in, in uh, a, a place where there's very high value on, I don't know, whatever, COVID tests. Yeah, trying to think of something that everybody used to run after and now nobody's using anymore, right? And then you move to a, another uh, locale where it's over a bottle. Yeah, nothing ever happened. The whole thing, you, you want to try to sell a test, it's going to be five cents. So it's not, it, it, you can't place any real value on a movable object because everything's dependent on time and, time and place. All right, so because of Tikkun Eilam, for the benefit of just things having value, real value to the woman, you can't put it on metalton. Amr Abbasi, Abbasi says, Okay. He says, you know, what sort of tikkun ilam is there, um, you know, when it comes to a uh, ksuva? Yeah. He says, you know, things, uh, things go up and down in value. So what you see from over here is, Abbasi seems to be of, Abbasi seems to be of the opinion that, uh, um, we, you're not allowed to use metaltalin. You're not allowed to use movable objects. Now, the Tanakhama just said that. Tanakhama just said, you're not allowed to use movable objects. Says Rabbi, says, Rabbi, 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 says Rabbi Yaisi, what do you mean you can't use movable objects? Movable objects go up and down in value. Th- that's what we just said. That, that's why you can't use it. Says the Gemara, I understand. Tanakhama nami ain't ice and kamar. Tanakhama just agreed with Rabbi Yehuda. What's he shouting about? So Gemara explains, Allah No, no, no. Here's the conversation. When do we say that metaltalin movable objects can cannot be what the what, what's uh, backing up the ksuba? When do we say that? That is when there was no achrayis accepted. There's no responsibility. Meaning, it's either this or nothing. I'm going to give you this COVID test or nothing. What if the COVID tests go down in value? What if they're totally lost? They expire. They don't work. Whatever. 
So then we say, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. But what happens if you have movable objects backing up Aksuba, but you obligate yourself on it? Meaning, you say, if there's a loss of value, I'll back it up. I have security on it. Basically, it's coming along to say like this. When he accepts an obligation, responsibility on the loss of value or the loss of the item, am I Eisen? Why are you, uh, why are you doing that? Right? You're doing it because there's no real value to movable objects. And they go down in value. So now, you have a husband who's writing uh, a ksuba to his wife, and he says that the ksuba is going to be 200 mana worth of, uh, worth of uh, tests. And the husband says, I'm going to take achrayis. He says, achrayis with what? Responsibility with what? It's going up and down in value. With, with other metaltolin. I don't understand. So Rabbi Yaisi is challenging the Tanakama by saying, how'd you really help me? So the Gemara explains, Let's get to our ultimate question. When it comes to metaltolin, we're concerned, maybe it might go down in value. What does Rabbi Yaisi say? Therefore, you can't have movable objects be what's backing up the Ksuba. Right? Because... There's no real value. You don't know what's going to keep. The base says you cannot base it on metaltalin. Now, hacha in our Mishnah, where we'll call it the Brisa, where you owe a ksuba of 200, where the ksuba is certainly going down in value because you're saying, I owe you 200, but make it as if I owe you 100, like Kolshkein, how much more so will Rabbi Yaisi say you cannot do that? So Rabbi Yaisi and our Bai said, Rashai, you're allowed to have her right, you know, only owe me 100. But we're asking, so why Rabbi Yaisi in the Brisa, do you, if you, if you allow them to pull off that shtick, why in the Brisa don't we allow a metaltalin agreement? And let's say like this, if the movable object goes down in value, big deal. She agreed that the movable object should back it up. So if it goes down in value, it's like she wrote a receipt to him. Who cares? It went down, fine. So the Gemara says, one second. Really? You're going to connect those two cases? Hachi hashta, listen here. Hasam, when you're backing up the ksuva with movable objects, lo yada de tachil. She doesn't know what she's going to end up with initially. Hacha, but in our case of the Brisa, where it was 200 and 100, yada the kamachla. So she's forgiving. She's clearly forgiving. As says, I don't understand. There's not a contradiction Rabbi Yaisi. Maybe Rabbi Yaisi allows when she's giving a specific amount that she's being Michael. But by Metaltalin, where nobody knows what it's ultimately going to be worth, maybe over there he doesn't allow it. And therefore, what we're walking away with is there's no contradiction in Rabbi Yaisi's opinion. Okay, let's end off today with a story and we'll hold it here. Let's wrap up today's daf. Says the Gemara, Achsei, the sister, the Rami Barchoma, the sister of Rami Barchoma, Havis Nesivalar of Avya, was married to Rav Avya. All right? So Rav Avya and Rami Barchoma were brother-in-laws. Tapa tomorrow's daf. Irkas Ksuvasa, they lost her Ksuba. They lost her Ksuba. Also came to Rabbi Yosef. So they came in front of Rabbi Yosef. What do we do? All right, we have a problem. Rav Avya and Rami Barchoma's sister are married, and they don't have a ksuba. So they come to Rabbi Yosef, they say, Rabbi Yosef, what do we do? 
Amar Lahu, he said, These are the words of Reb Meir. Now this is going back to our Mishnah, which is that um, if you have a woman who doesn't know where her ksub is, which by the way is halacha lamaisa, a woman needs to know where her, she doesn't even know the exact location, but she needs to have, at least have access to a ksuba. She so says, you're not allowed to have relations till you find the ksuba. A woman needs to be protected to know she always has her ksuba to fall back on. Really, you could be married for, uh, for two to three years without a ksuba. Okay? Now, the reason for this is going to be because ultimately you're going to have to pay her anyway, whether or not you have a ksuba. So we should not allow them to stay together. You're right. So therefore, you lost the ksuba. Quickly, go ahead, get a cipher and write a new ksuba to make sure before you live together, to make sure that she has access to Ruxuva, because Lamaisa, it seems, we are passing like Rav Meir. If a, wife, if a woman does not have access to Ruxuva, the Bia, the intercourse, the relations that a couple has together is going to be considered the Ilas Zunus. All right, we'll hold it here for today. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening, Bezhen. We will pick up from here tomorrow evening, same time. Hopefully from Yerushalayim, Irak Have a wonderful, wonderful evening.